Good morning. Do you remember how to remember my name? What is it? Him tall. You put the T in the H place and the H in the T place, you get him tall. That's a good way of remembering my name. If you have a good way to remember your name, I would like to know that. So maybe the next time I can remember your name. <laughs> that would be really good. We were up in the mountains uh, with the missions committee last uh, yesterday. And one of the purpose of the being up there is to try to organize the, the missions committee so they will be more effective. And one of the things that the missions committee wants to do in the future is maybe two or three times a year they want to have a message that reflects missions. Because this Bible that you're holding in your hand is a missionary book. And the God that we serve and we worship is a missionary God. We need to get used to that. We need to embrace that. We need to love that because that's who God is. God doesn't want anyone to perish. And he has given us the great commission to go out and to spread the gospel throughout the whole world. And so that's very, very important for us to do and for us to get a handle on. And so this message is hopefully going to be one of those kind of messages that challenges you to do that. Hopefully. If you look at the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, great start, fabulous start. God spoke, the worlds were created. Genesis chapter 3, great fall. Adam and Eve not only swallowed the apple, but uh, they swallowed the serpent's lie as well, thinking that they could become God. Genesis chapter 3, great prophecy. God prophesizes that the seed of the woman, Jesus, will crush Satan, giving him a death blow at the cross and resurrection. The serpent will give Jesus a knockout blow, but Jesus overcomes that and rises from the grave and is now at the right hand of the Father. Genesis chapter 3, there's a great covering uh, the Lord commands that animals be slayed so that Adam and Eve's sins can be covered by the blood of a sacrifice. Then from Genesis chapter 4 through 11, we see a great decline. Enmity arose between Adam and Eve. Cain kills Abel. Wickedness grew to unsustainable levels. And God got so tired of it that he sent the flood to wash the world clean from its debauchery. He gives mankind another chance, and he tells man to scatter and multiply throughout the whole earth, and man doesn't do that. He stays in his own location. He gets cocky, he gets filled with pride again, and he says he's gonna build a tower that reaches God. And so in Genesis chapter 11, he starts building this tower. God is displeased because of a disobedient people. He looks down at them, and he wants it to stop, and he decides to confuse their language. And he does. And the most lonely time you'll have probably in the face of the earth, or one of the loneliest times, is when you are in a people group and they speak a different language and you cannot communicate. That is lonely. 
And uh, they experienced that in Genesis chapter 11. And I would say that they are probably at one of the lowest points that they've ever been, separated from themselves and separated from God. And so what does God do? What does he do? Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is probably one of the most important passages that we have in all of Scripture. God elects man and his wife. He chooses a couple. They're old in years. Abraham and Sarah. Past the prime of their life, past childbearing, but he chooses them, and in them, he gives them the message of salvation, and they believe it. And Abraham is chosen to show mankind the way. And it's based on two words. Abraham believes. And when you believe, I mean truly believe with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul, everything changes. And Abraham is our patriarch. We are children of Abraham, not because he did good works, not because he was a great patriarch, but because he believed. And we are children of Abraham because we are children of faith. And he is our example. And Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is so important. You know, when you believe with all of your heart, mind, and soul that God is your Savior, you become a child of God. You are adopted. You are an heir of Jesus Christ, a joint heir of Jesus Christ. You are justified by faith. Your despicable sins and obstinance were given to Jesus Christ in exchange he gives to you his incredible pure righteousness. Justification, beautiful word. And that happened when you believed. This happened to Abraham when he believed. Happens to us as well. Belief is not just intellectual assent. Like I believe that George Washington is the first president of the United States. Belief is placing all that I have, my mind, my soul, my spirit, my body, and putting that in the hands of Jesus and telling him, you drive, you're in charge, I trust in you. That's belief. And Abraham gained approval by God because he believed. He believed God and left the land and the family that he knew to go to a place that was unknown. He did not know where he was going, but he believed. He believed God would give him an heir of his own loins, even though Sarah was way past the age of childbirth. It looked impossible, but he believed. He believed that if God would slay his son on the altar, that God would raise his son up from the dead. That's belief. Genesis 15, 6 says, Abraham believed the Lord, it was counted to him as righteousness. We believe in the Lord. It's also imputed, placed in our account as righteousness. 
And God then gives Abraham a command, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And if we look at this, and I'm going to read the text that was written to us by Christopher Wright in his book called The Mission of God. And Christopher Wright translates from the Hebrew what he would consider a literal text of Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So let's read it together. It says, And Yahweh said to Abram, Get yourself up and go from your land and from your kindred, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, whereas the one who belittles you I will curse. And in you will be blessed all kinship groups of the earth. Notice all kinship groups. Probably your version says nation, but the literal translation is kinship groups or people groups. Every people group will be blessed. And Abraham went just as Yahweh said to him. This text is called the Abrahamic Covenant. It has been described as the greatest of all the covenants, and it's been described as the great commission of the Old Testament. And in this text, God gives Abraham two commands. Can you pick them out? Go, be a blessing. Go, be a blessing. Those are wonderful things for us to do today. Abraham says his responsibility is to go. God's responsibility is to bless. Abraham's second responsibility is to be a blessing. God's responsibility is to bless or curse based on man's response. So go and be. Talking about these two commands, go and be, they're good principles for us to place in our life. Wherever God calls you to go, go by faith. If you do that, that will change your life. And secondly, when you arrive, wherever you arrive, be a blessing. Those two commands will make a difference for the kingdom of God. Abraham went, he dwelt in tents, he was always constantly going, and wherever he arrived, he strove to be a blessing. He blessed Lot by allowing him to choose the land for his flocks and herds before Abraham chose, something that you didn't do culturally. The elder usually chose first. Abraham blessed Lot. He blessed Sodom and Gomorrah by interceding for them. He asked God to lower the number of righteous people for whom he would spare destruction. I always wondered if Abraham would have asked, will you save Sodom and Gomorrah for one person? I bet God would have. And uh, Abraham blessed Sodom and Gomorrah by the way he acted. We could say that in all of Abraham's ne negotiations, he strove to be a blessing to the other party. Now, when we look at this Abrahamic covenant, we can say that it's still going on today. 
John Stott, a theologian last century and a great missiologist, by the way, says that about this text, there are three fulfillments. There is the intermediate fulfillment. There is the intermediate fulfillment. And there is the ultimate fulfillment. Now, the immediate fulfillment happened during the time of Abraham, during his lifetime and maybe a few centuries after his lifetime. The intermediate fulfillment happened when Christ came to the earth, lived a life that was righteous, died, rose again, and we as a church body are in the middle of the intermediate fulfillment. That's still going on today. And then in the future, there will be an ultimate fulfillment, which will happen when Christ comes back and brings back the new heavens and the new earth for us to live in. And that's the ultimate fulfillment. Now, if we look at the text again, there's three blessings. You can see them in verse 2. It says, and I will make you a great nation. That's the blessing of property or land. Then it says, I will bless you. That's the blessing of prosperity. And then it says, I will make your name great. And that's the blessing of posterity, where the lineage of Abraham will continue to grow and to multiply posterity. So we can see all of those three fulfillments in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and we see them historically from the life of Abraham all the way into the future. So if we, if we look at the immediate fulfillment, which is during the time of Abraham, we can see that he was blessed with property. If you look at Genesis 12, verse 7, the Lord says in that verse, I will give you this land. And so the Lord blesses Abraham with physical land so that the people of Abraham, Israel, will have a land to live in. And we know that in Joshua, that's the book where the 12 nations or the 12 tribes uh, capture the land so they can occupy so that they will have a land. And so the first blessing we see is the land of property. And we see that today in the nation of Israel. They have a land for their people. Then he blesses them with posterity, meaning that there is a lineage. Abraham had a large physical lineage. And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were given the same prom promise. If you look... Um, in Genesis 15, 15 through 6, or Genesis 26, verse 4, or Genesis 32, 12, you see the same promise. Now look towards the heavens, count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. So we see that Israel starts with this old couple and their lineage grows and grows and grows to the point where it's a metaphor, but you can't count them. There's so many. It's high, hyperbole. So if you look in, in Israel, we see that when they were in Egypt, they grew so fast and so abundant 
that Pharaoh commanded the midwives to throw the Hebrew sons into the Nile because there was too many of them. And if you look in the time of the wilderness, there were 603,550 men that made up the armed forces and the services of Israel. If you multiply that by three, you get 2.5 to 3.5 million Israelites during the time of the wilderness. So we can say that their posterity grew and has grown over the years. And that's something that has happened. I want to take a bunny trail right now and leave this and go off on a side diversion, if I will. It's interesting to me that Abraham's command was go and be. Go and be a blessing. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, he was a Bedouin. He was a wanderer. He traveled in tents. And so wherever he went, it was good for him to bless those when he arrived at his location. And that was his command. But you know, for the nation Israel, go and be was not their command. What was Israel's command? I mean, they were children of, of Abraham, but their command was completely different. It wasn't to go and be. Israel's command is really come and see. So if we look at Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 through 7, it says, The Lord called to him, Moses, out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Now as James says, one obeys God's voice and keeps God's covenant by faith. We're saved by faith. And our acts of righteousness are done by faith. Then the text says, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. You shall be my treasured possession. What do you do with a treasure? Now, if you're a country and you have a treasure, you display it. Israel displayed their treasures, the things of the temple they displayed, so people could come and see them. If you go to London, you can look at the crown jewels, and you can see the abundance and the riches of the United Kingdom. You can see the crown jewels in Norway and Sweden. And any kingdom usually has a room with a special case in a special place so you can see the treasures. And when you go to that country, you come and see. And that's what Israel's command was, that we are to go to Israel and see their lives as they live them out for God. And so their command was different. They were not Bedouin. They had one location, one place, 
and people were to go and to see it, and they were to shine as treasures in the trophy case so all could see. And then if you read the text, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. All the nations were commanded to go and see Israel. And Israel had two responsibilities. They had the responsibility of being a kingdom of priests. Now the responsibility of a, of a priest is to be a mediator between God and the people. He represents God and he proclaims the message of God to the people. Kyle and Dalish um, commentary uh, series for the Old Testament says, as the priest is a mediator between God and man, so Israel was called to be a vehicle of the knowledge and salvation of God to the nations of the earth. So people were to go and see Israel in order to hear about the message of salvation, that one can believe in God by faith and be saved. And Israel was to be a holy nation. The word holy means to be pure and untarnished, one that is sanctified, set apart for God. They were to hearken to his voice and keep his covenant by faith, which would continually purify them. And they were to be a trophy that shines brightly and calls the nations to come and see. And I would say that if we would do those two commands, that when we're moving and we're traveling about, if we would go and be, wherever we go, we go by faith. Whenever we arrive, we're a blessing there. If we would do that, that would make a difference. And then if we're in our homes, we would shout out to our neighbors, to our communities, come and see my home. Come and see me, because what you see will make a difference in your life. Those are things I think we need to do. Come and see how we live, how we worship God, how we treat one another in our home. Come and see how dad loves mom and how he encourages his children to be disciples of Jesus. Come and see how mom loves and cares for her husband and her children. Come and see that there's joy and peace in our home. How all the members of the house worship God and who are a blessing to others because they have been blessed by God. Our homes should be a radiating sinner that shouts out to all others, come and see. This is what the truth of the gospel is. We want you to know it. And so in the immediate fulfillment, there was the property, the land that they received, and then there was the posterity, the lineage, the people, um, and then there is prosperity we see in the immediate fulfillment. 
And we see that when Abraham received the commandment of God, he was blessed by God. He was blessed in every area, spiritually, financially, physically, and that the nation of Israel was blessed. They occupied a land flowing with milk and honey. They, as they followed God, were blessed and were prosperous. And that is something that will happen to us if we seek God by faith and we do what he says. And then we have the intermediate fulfillment. That's uh, the time of uh, Jesus Christ, and it also includes us right now, the intermediate fulfillment. And we have those three markers as well. We have the marker of property. But during the intermediate fulfillment, it isn't so much that we are receiving a spiritual land, but it's that the gospel is uh, taking over the world and it is gaining spiritually. What does Acts 1.8 say? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That is the gospel, in a sense, taking spiritual land. And that's what the gospel does. It spreads out. And so the intermediate stage, the stage of Jesus Christ, property is seen in a spiritual sense as the gospel spreading from one country to another. During the time of Constantine, it was estimated that uh, half the world knew about Jesus Christ. And that was just 312 years after the death of Christ. And so you can see the tremendous gains of the gospel. In fact, if you look at this slide, you see that in AD 100, there was one believer for every 369 believers. Then in A.D. 1,000, one believer for every 270, 270 non-believers. If you skip up to A.D. 1,900, one believer for 31 non-believers. And today, it's estimated that there's one believer for every 14 non-believers. There's, there's 550 million evangelical Christians in the world who know the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's 7.5 billion people in the world. You take 550 million and you put that into 7.5 billion and you come out with 14. So one believer for every 14 non-believers in the world. That's probably a pretty good estimate of situation. So we have made great progress. The, the land of the gospel, the spiritual land, has, has, is being uh, conquered by the message of faith, and we should rejoice in that. And then there is the uh, blessing of prosperity, and that is seen in um, Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, now then, 
It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We could say, in you shall all the nations be prosperous. Because when you come to faith, God wants to prosper you. Not just financially, sometimes that happens. But if you're plagued with anxiety and worry when you come to faith, and you trust in Christ and you walk with him, he will conquer that anxiety and worry. If you're addicted to alcohol or to drugs, and you walk with Christ and you take him step by step by his word, those addictions can be broken. He can give you peace, he can give you joy, and those are the signs, are they not, of prosperity. And we get that in Jesus Christ when we trust in him. And so that is happening in the intermediate fulfillment. And then we have the ultimate fulfillment. That is the time when Jesus Christ comes back to us. And when he comes back, we have those three things again. We have property. We have prosperity. We have prosperity. So we have property. We will have a new heaven and a new earth. It's the physical now that we get again. It's not the spiritual, but we, we have now a physical land of heaven and earth. We have posterity. If you look at Revelation 7, 9 through 10, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. There will be a tremendous posterity in the kingdom of heaven. People from every people group will be there worshiping the Savior and falling down before him. And then there will be prosperity. We will live in a city with gates of pearls. The streets are gold. There will be no tears. There will be tremendous peace and joy. That is prosperity in abundance. And all of those are ours because of Abraham, of the man of faith, proclaiming faith, and as we envelop faith in our own lives, we also walk in faith. About every um, March, I go to Las, Lost Valley Ranch. That's in Deckers, Colorado. And it was founded about 55 years ago by a man by the name of Bob Foster. And Bob Foster was trained in the navigators, and he was a godly man. His idea was to make this five-star dude ranch so the people that had money 
who came from New York and from Los Angeles could come for a week or two and spend on this dude ranch and, be, and fall so in love with the dude ranch that they would, in a sense, also come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so he commanded his work crews and all the people to work on the ranch. He said to them, you are the most important people in this ranch. It isn't the prime rib we serve. It isn't the swimming pools they swim in. It isn't the horses that they ride. It isn't the mountains that they climb. It's you. And we want you to live in such a way that your life demands an explanation. We want you to captivate the people who come here that they're spellbound by your behavior and your comportment. And so you go to Lost Valley Ranch and you stay in these five-star cabins and you go to the hot tub and you go to the pool and you eat prime rib and all these luxurious dinners. It's just incredible. But you are waited on by this staff that just blows you away. So everything I heard when I was going to Lost Valley Ranch the first time was, you got to go and see it. You got to go and see this place. It will change your life. And every year there are families that come from Los Angeles and New York that fall in love with Lost Valley Ranch, but they fall in love with the staff. And at the end of their vacation, there's several of them that come to Christ. And that's the message to us. Wherever you go, go by faith. And when you arrive, be a blessing. And then when you're there, live in such a way that your life demands an explanation. Because it's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God has chosen us for that. He wants us to be elected by God to proclaim the message to others. And I pray that we will in every way. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Would you stand with me, please? Here's our benediction. May the God who came to us in Jesus and let us see what God in human flesh would look like. And then said to us, go in my name and represent me. May you go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his power, by his spirit, for his glory. God bless you. Amen.